with the, with the group, uh, I kind of realized, gosh, he's so right. It was so much better to have a good question than to have, you know, maybe a shallow or a trite answer. And um, so when Jesus asks these questions, it's just an incredible thing that he's inviting us into. So the context, I'm, I'm going to be reading um, and speaking from Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through uh, 41. And... Um, and just to kind of give you the context from where, from where Johnny brought us to last week, chapter 3, uh, Jesus begins the demonstration of the kingdom of God. And it's, and it's this, this, this incredible uh, narrative of the kingdom of God invading this present age with multiple healings, with miracles, uh, casting out demons. And, uh, and Jesus has, a, has, a, has a, uh, a, a few days of doing these incredible things. And he, uh, then he calls the his followers up, uh, up a mountain and, he's, and he chooses 12 apostles and again as, a, as an echo or as a fulfillment of the 12 tribes of Israel because nothing in these gospels is by accident and nothing that Jesus says or does is by accident it's, it's, not, it's not just spontaneous, it's planned it's, it's deliberate, he's deliberately putting himself forward as the new Moses and the people around that, that were in that day would recognize that he's He's acting like Moses in these situations. Uh, and, and there's this picture of him bringing the people out of exile into the new world. Chapter 4, he tells a few uh, kingdom parables. And, and he begins with the most important parable of all, which interprets all the others. He says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't be able to understand any other parable. It's the kingdom parable. It's what we know as the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seeds, or the parable of the soil. Uh, and then a few other parables about the coming kingdom. And then finally, at the end of a huge day of healing, uh, driving out demons, teaching, uh, and, and he, he, he gets into the boat and he says, let's go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side so we can rest. And that brings us to where we are today, in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through 41. So verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now the Sea of Galilee is, is uh, it's not a big, it's not a big lake. I mean, it's a substantial lake, but it's not, it's not a huge lake. But it is renowned. With the, with the topography of the area, it's renowned for these vicious squalls coming through with, with some particular wind directions. And they make the, because of the fetch, the, the, the lake becomes very dangerous very quickly. And Jesus, I don't know about you, but the picture of Jesus sleeping in the back of a small boat in a lake that's cut up rough, sleeping on a cushion, and then an experienced fisherman are worried about drowning. I'm kind of like, how did he keep sleeping? You know, he must have been very tired, and he must have a very deep trust in God. And there's this question that the disciples, uh, they wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
You know, and, and if anyone has been on the sea or on a lake or in a river even, you we realize that water can be incredibly scary. I mean, I, I, I love the ocean, but I also know that it's, it's a dangerous beast as well, that it can cut up really rough. And these were experienced fishermen, so they, they must have been out in extreme conditions before. And they must have been incredulous that Jesus was asleep in the boat when the boat was about to capsize. And their question was, don't you care if we drown? And the reality is this, that they could not have been more wrong than to think that Jesus didn't care. You know, these were men who just over the past few days had seen, they'd, they'd witnessed Jesus heal, they'd witnessed him drive out demons, he, he, he was announcing the kingdom, that the kingdom, the, the, that, that the future was invading the present, uh, that, that, that everything was going to be put right, that he was going to take his people out of captivity, he's going to set them free, he was bringing them out of exile into the, into the promised land. You know, he was acting with kindness to the rejected. And these, these 12 had been handpicked by Jesus from a bigger group to be his apostles. You know, they'd seen all these signs and heard the words that Jesus was bringing in the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God is just simply the, the loving rule of God. That, that we, can, we can live under the domain of darkness or we can live in the kingdom of God. God's loving rule, God's new creation, God's new age for humanity that had begun to invade this present age. And the question was, don't, don't you care if we drown? And it's kind of like, well, no, I, I, I think pretty much he was showing incredible care. And it's, and it's interesting, this thing of the, you know, the, the, the way this conversation kind of goes, and it probably would have been a very quick conversation in a very serious situation. Um, but there, my, my reading of scriptures leads me to believe that the most fundamental thing that God wants us to believe is that he knows us and that he loves us. It seems like that's, that's this question over and over again. I think Jesus' most common question is, do you believe? Or do you believe me? Uh, and, and so his question to them, you know, they said, I'm teacher, don't you care if we drown? His response was, why are you so afraid? And now on the surface, the answer to that question is pretty obvious. Um, if I was in the boat, it would be uh, storm, drowning. <laughs> That's, that's why I'm so afraid. I don't want to die today. Um, but as always with Jesus, he was going straight to the heart of the matter. Oh, sorry, I, I keep forgetting to flip my, flip my slides through. Um, do you believe? That's the, that's the key question. Um, and it's really interesting, you know, that the, 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 you know, the answer that he was trying to elucidate out of them was, what, what's going on? What's the, what, why is fear still in the center of your life? After all you've seen me do, why is fear so central? And my wondering, you know, you, you know, I, I know we're we're people who are, are well versed with the scriptures, and in, in, uh, and in Genesis three ten, you remember this occasion after after our uh, ancestors Adam and Eve uh, sinned, rebelled against God, um, they, and they were used to meeting with God in the cool of the evening and, and having this kind of intimate relationship. And in Genesis 3.10, after, after they'd rebelled against them and eaten from the, the fruit of the tree of good and evil, they, their answer to him, when God called them, he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And it's interesting that, that our natural response when caught out is fear. And my wondering, when I was reading this, this passage you know, over and over during the week, was my wondering is this, I, I wonder if fear is the biggest ongoing fallout from Eden. You know, we often think about this, the issue of sin. 
You know, and, and, and I, I certainly am not minimizing sin, but I wonder if our biggest issue is this thing of fear, that we hide, that we run and we hide. That whenever we're caught out, our, our initial response is, how do I, it's either I'm going to hide, I'm going to lie, or I'm going to attack. You know, it's a, that's the response when we're caught out. You know, it's, it's interesting that, that all through the scriptures, you know, a very common response when people see an angel or a vision of God in the scriptures is, is the, the angel or the vision of God is always, don't be afraid, you know, it, it's going to be okay. Uh, again, in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And when he invites us into his kingdom, in this present age, he tells us, don't be fearful. Don't, you know, don't be afraid. And, and, and again, my wondering around this thing is, why are they so afraid? You know, were, they, were they afraid because perhaps they thought there were limits to Jesus' ability? You know, was it that, that they, were, they were questioning, was Jesus witnessing their life? Did, was God watching them? You know, one of the most terrifying things I think that humans can live with is the, is the fear of being unwitnessed, of nobody seeing us, of being totally alone. You know, and, and I think at the heart of it all is this, is this reality that we fear because we've forgotten that God loves us. We fear because we forget that he holds us in his love. And their response is, is this. You know, it's, it's an incredible miracle that Jesus did right there to, you know, to instantly turn a gale and windswept waves into a calm sea. You know, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen the sea slowly kind of get itself right. You know, I've seen a, I've seen a, a lake slowly start swashing. But it was instant. And up until this time, they'd seen Jesus heal sickness, work miracles. They, they, he worked a miracle with a man with a deformed hand. And instantly in front of them, they saw the hand become light. Um, they'd seen uh, demons driven out of people, but this was the first time that they'd seen that Jesus had power and authority over the natural world as well. And their response was, who is this? Who's this person that we've got in our boat? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And what Jesus goes on to do throughout the rest of Mark's gospel of Jesus' three and a half years of mystery is to show that there's no arena that exists Natural or supernatural, past, present, future, physical, spiritual, that Jesus is not Lord over. But it's the interesting thing to me as, as the gospel proceeds is, is that it wasn't Jesus being powerful and power-filled that caught their hearts ultimately. See, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've... I've experienced powerful and influential people over the course of my life. And I have to say this, it's not always the most attractive. In fact, in fact, often the powerful are the most dangerous people to be around. And Jesus, he just keeps drilling right to the heart of it. He says, why, why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? And what got the hook into their hearts was this love of Jesus. When he asked, why are you so afraid? Do you, have, do you still have no faith? He was invoking a heart response. He was saying, what's going on with you? You know, you've seen me do this. You, you've seen me work miracles. You've seen me now still the storm. Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? You know, why, why, is, why is fear and faith uh, connected here? 
And he wasn't asking them to be impressed with his acts of power over nature, but rather he was inviting them to have faith. You know, this, I think this, this whole kind of discourse that we're, that we're into today is, is this invitation to say that, to realize that faith is not about believing, it's, it's not about believing some facts, it's, but it's about believing a person. It's about trusting a person. Fear and faith and trust are virtually the same word in their, in their roots. You know, having big faith is all about the object of our trust. We can have big faith when it's a big person that we can put our trust into. Uh, you know, and our fear in any situation is diminished the more and more we know and understand a person's ability. You know, I was trying to think about some illustrations. Um, you know, I've only had one ride in an ambulance in my life. And, um, and, and I, remember, I remember when, you know, I, I, had the, I had a stroke and I didn't know what was happening. And, and when it happened, I mean, my fear was huge. Uh, and, and then when the paramedics came up the stairs, my fear diminished a little bit. I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, there's a couple of guys in green uniforms. I, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm still completely freaked out, but I'm, I'm a little bit better. They got me into the ambulance. They put oxygen on me. I felt a little less, uh, a little less fearful. I got into the emergency department, and there was the medical, you know, there was uh, doctors there that were saying to prod and poke and do stuff, and, and my fear dropped a little bit more. And, and then I, I was admitted to a ward, and finally saw a specialist, a neurologist, and, and my fear dropped a little bit more. I mean, my circumstances, my circumstances hadn't changed that much, but it was interesting that my fear level dropped through all those levels. I was thinking again, you know, in a relationship, when you first begin a relationship with somebody, we're pretty guarded. You know, we, we put our best self out there. You know, it's like, I, I am this amazing person that you're about to discover. Um, but, but we're pretty guarded, you know, and, and especially if our hearts been hurt before. But as we get to know that person, the guard just drops a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. We, 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 as we, the more we get to know that person and see what they're capable of, and what their character is like, the more we trust them, more and more, you know, and, and we slowly begin to open our heart to that person. And, and eventually, you know, if, if, if that relationship ends up in a marriage relationship, for example, then, then, then ultimately we're, we're trusting them with our whole heart, our whole life. And it's, and it's this kind of, I think it's this kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. It's, see, his disciples saw his power and his authority and his love and faith and trust grew. See, we're, I, I think, you, you probably are not as screwed up as I am, but, but I, I know this about myself, that I'm really used to um, having, having trust in, in people and in institutions, but ultimately, if I'm really honest with myself, I, it's usually I've got trust in myself. I know how to use this institution, I know how to, I know how to leverage this relationship. You know, it's, it's usually faith or trust in ourselves and our own ability to get ourselves out of a situation or through a situation, you know, I mean, we're still, even though, I mean, I've been following Jesus for, for decades, but I still find myself trying to control my own life. And I think Jesus is, I was going to say, I think Jesus is really smart. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, but Jesus had led these disciples really early on on their discipleship journey. He'd let them come to a place where they'd come to the, to the place where their ability was gone. And his invitation was, now shift your allegiance. You are not in control of this situation, so shift your, shift your allegiance. Trust me. 
to stop trusting themselves. I mean, they were experienced fishermen. They they knew boats. They knew that lake. They, you know, they they were they were well versed with how that thing worked. And, and he was inviting them: don't trust yourselves, trust me. And I think that's why, you know, years later, uh, John, who, who uh, John the Apostle, who who was almost certainly in that boat with Jesus, would write in First John four eight: God is love. And then in verse 18, imperfect love drives out fear. Again, it's often why we would say things like the way in is the way on. That this discipleship journey that we're on, this, this being formed into the people that God wants us to be, this journey is us slowly moving our allegiance from our own ability to his ability. You know, that, that, this, that, the, that the most courageous thing that we can do is trust him. That the most courageous, the smartest thing we can do is to trust him. And when we say, you know, often we say it around around this church, you know, the way in is the way on. Because we've learned, the more and more we learn of the character and the ability of God, the more and more we can say, I trust you and I take another step. You know, it's why we look over the course of our lives and see time and time again where, where we've had to choose the surrender control. You know, and it's, yeah. I, I, again, I think I'm probably the same as the rest of us. It's never easy to give up control. You know, I, I like to be in control. You know, I, I, I like to make things work. And, and yet the only way forward, the way in, was for us to say, I have no ability to save myself. And so I'm going I'm to have to put my allegiance into you. I trust you for this part of my life. You know, it's, it's funny. We actually start trusting him with the most important thing, which is our eternal destiny. And, and, and then we and then we start trusting him with, with smaller bits of our lives, and almost we start with the big one, and then we start adding all the little ones. And, and it's funny how hard some of the little ones are. That's why you know. And, and he loves us so much that he won't leave us alone. He, you know, he he doesn't invite the circumstances into our life that cause fear, but my goodness, he'll use them. You know, he'll let us face situations where it's like this is too hard for me. This is way too frightening for me. You know, and we're living in a, we're living in a, almost like a permanent, you know, what's going to happen today situation where it's like there's so, there's so much stuff that, that fear would, would, would quite easily overwhelm us. But he'll use these situations for us to transfer our trust or our faith or our allegiance from ourselves onto him. I think that's what this whole story is about. So why are you so afraid? Why, why has, why have you let fear stay at the center of your life? Why are you letting control stay in control of your life? When the invitation is to be, to be truly set free. See, the intention of the kingdom of God coming into our hearts and ultimately into this whole age is for us to experience true freedom. It's for us to become more alive than we ever dreamed possible. That's, that's the dream that God has for his, his humanity, that we would come fully alive, that we'd come fully free. And that's why the question is always, do you believe? You know, and it's not believing a set of facts. It's believing a person that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger in our minds and in our hearts. The more we know Jesus, the more we can hand over our, our allegiance. And so the question that I want to leave us with, and, and you know, it's, it's, this is the main question to leave you with, particularly, particularly when I'm here and you're there. Um, we're not even in the same room with many of us. But, but to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What's the fear in my life? You know, what's, 
What's my underlying fear? What, what area of control am I still foolishly putting my faith in? You know, what area of my life do I, do I, do I crazily think I can actually control? You know, that, that I can actually bring out a, a, you know, a, a good end from it. And what could he be asking me to surrender more and more of my control to and to give him more and more of my heart? You know, there's lots of things that, that we can be, realistically, we can be afraid of. You know, the, the future is, is a scary thing. If we don't know that there's already a big God who's there, you know, who's already seen it, who's, who, who's inviting us into it. You know, the, there's, a, there's the fear of being alone, the, the fear of being rejected, the fear of getting really sick, uh, you know, the fear of being laughed at. The, you know, the, there's, there's so many fears that are very real human fears. And yet what he's inviting us into is, is this question, the bigger question of, do you believe? Would you believe? Would you believe me in this circumstance? And so I, I'm going to, um, I, I want to lead us in a really, uh, just a, a really simple prayer. And, and then we're going to uh, play a song that I, I hope will just give us moments for us to, to lean back, you know, to sit back in our, in our comfortable chairs, wherever we are, and just go, where, where am I afraid? What is it? What is it? You know, what's the area right now that, that's got me? What is it that, I, that kind of wakes me up in the night? You know, what is it that, what is it that I think I can control, but I realize I can't control? And it's going to be an invitation, and it's going to be an invitation to believe. Why are you so afraid? How is it that you have so little faith? Perfect love casts out fear. And we lean into this perfect love. You know, his love was designed to set us absolutely free. So let me pray. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for the mastery of Jesus. We, we thank you that he's, he knows our hearts so much better than we know our own hearts. And he knows what it is. What's the next, what's the next thing? What's the next click on our dial for us to surrender? That we could be truly devoted followers of Jesus. That we would experience deep, deep freedom and deep, deep joy. So Lord, I, I, I pray as we, as we uh, listen to this song, Lord, that we would enter into an act of surrendering our allegiance and shifting our allegiance from ourselves to you. We, Lord, we ask you for a bigger picture of Jesus. We ask you for a bigger vision of who you are in our lives, in our church, in our nation and in the world right now. We ask you for a bigger picture. We want to see you. Lord, we choose to answer yes to the do you believe me question. So come on, Jesus.